Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you put the tools in your toolbox you need to build the common good in Minnesota. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Good morning, Kit. Good morning, Jason. Good morning to everyone who's listening this blessed Saturday. You can catch us each Saturday here on Relevant Radio AM 1330 at 11 a.m., but if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, just visit mncatholic.org slash podcast. You can also find the Bridge Builder podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Each week, we try to bring you great interviews on some of the major issues impacting how we live our faith in public life. We also answer your questions through our mailbag segment, and you can email those to show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And it wouldn't be the bridge builder if we didn't provide you with practical ways that you can become a missionary disciple in the public arena. Recently, the Minnesota Catholic Conference held a discussion day based on the question of why some communities are thriving while others are collapsing. One common thread that came out of that discussion is the need for strong social connections and strong institutions that promote those connections. One of our speakers at that event was Chuck Marone. Chuck is the founder and president of Strong Towns. He was one of our speakers and brought really some great insights about how the built environment plays a role in building strong communities. And it's often a question I think that um, Catholics overlook is that our built environment and how we structure our communities um, has a difference in how we build social connections. Chuck has a bachelor's degree in civil engineering and a master's of urban and regional planning from the University of Minnesota. Chuck, welcome to the Bridge Builder Program. Great to have you. Thanks so much. It's a real pleasure. Chuck, what is Strong Towns? It's a it's an organization and that's gotten a lot of interest of across the ideological spectrum and a lot of different uh, groups, non-traditional allies, and has just really something that's brought a lot of interesting people together around the conversations that you're fostering. What is it and why did you found it? Well, thank you for that. I, I do think we have a lot of momentum right now. I started writing a blog back in 2008 just with the idea that I would uh, kind of examine some of the work that I had done as an engineer and a planner in cities, doing standard, you know, projects, building streets, subdivisions, that kind of thing. And the writing just took off in a way that I wasn't expecting. Uh, Some friends of mine from Minnesota here encouraged me to start a nonprofit. And these days we go around sharing this message about how we build cities that financially perform better, that, that, that do well on a balance sheet standpoint, but also are wonderful places to live and really improve the human experience and how we interact with each other. So that's this combination of the two that we're focused on. And we just, we do media around the country. So we're sharing a message and hoping it inspires people to, to take change in their community seriously. Some of the buzzwords we hear in discussions around urban planning are things like human scale or new urbanism. Why do you think it is that historically Catholic cities, even in the United States, seem to possess a better sense of human scale than more modern cities and suburbs? Yeah. Well, I, I think traditionally, I mean, we can look around the world, and I've been in some amazing, you know, kind of Catholic-oriented cities, but but you can even see places that were not uh, you had a scale of building that w- was essentially based around pre-automobile sensibilities. Um, oftentimes we look at the automobile as the, the, the thing that changed cities, and it really isn't because you can go to other parts of the world where they have cars and, and they get around by car and they haven't reshaped their cities the way we have here in North America. Um, 
So what, what you see is that there's a pattern and a style of development. And in cities that were dominantly Catholic, this, this centered around the church, around the parish, uh, around, you know, the, the basically like the daily worship. And uh, it was designed to not only, uh, you know, work economically, work socially, work culturally, uh, but to work from a, a worship and a practice standpoint as well uh, to, you know, make, in a sense, walking the faith a, a lot easier for people. It, it, it kind of integrated it close, more closely in their lives. Post-World War II, we, we have a completely different ethic about building our cities. And whether it's a Catholic city, you know, a city with a lot of Catholics or not, um, we've adopted this kind of centralized, top-down set of approaches for how we repeat, in, in a real cookie-cutter fashion, this growth model over and over. And one of the things it's done is it's really homogenized our city. So you can go to a place uh, you know, where, where you've got, like in my town, this beautiful old Catholic cathedral kind of building – in a core neighborhood, and that neighborhood has been denuded into parking lots and, and other things. Um, and you can go to the new Catholic church that's way out in the edge of town, and it's on a big lot with a big parking lot. Neither of those really have a parish, in a sense. The, the community that lives aside and interacts with that church in any kind of intimate, daily connection kind of way. What, uh, you know, a lot of people who write about the issues that you talk about are, you might call them the urban professional class. They live in big cities. They work and talk to other people who live in big cities. But you live in greater Minnesota, in central Minnesota. What does, what do you think unique angle do you bring to the conversation or insights uh, being located in central Minnesota as opposed to uh, spending most of your time in big cities? It's funny because that you ask it that way. Um, because I, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I, I'm a professional. I'm a licensed engineer. I've got a planning degree. I've got all the credentials. But I, I really have come to question the professional approach, uh, the idea that the city as a complex, adaptive environment, a, a place where literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are going about their business day to day, making individual choices about their lives, that, that somehow this can be master planned in a way that will be fulfilling to people. We can, as professionals, meet one or two objectives. You know, we, we can focus on transportation and getting people around. And what you sacrifice then is some of this intimate, you know, walking connectivity. We can go back and focus on walking connectivity, and, and, and that works out great, but sometimes, you know, you wind up with affordability problems. I think what happens in a small town context is that it, you don't have the opportunity to become as professionally myopic as you would in a big city. Uh, in a small town, you are kind of confronted on a daily basis with, with this whole kind of wide variety of just the human experience. And in a big city, you can be a transportation planner or a, a walkability expert or a zoning official. And you know, go about your life in a sense without getting smacked alongside the head uh, with the person who's struggling with your design or the person who is, uh, is, is having a difficult time you know, living their life based on some decisions that the, the, you, know, you have made as a professional. So I think the small town, the intimacy of it kind of has allowed me to maybe get beyond the professional silo a little bit more effectively than I would have had I lived in kind of the big city setting. Yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, buying food from the people who produce it and having a relationship with them. 
maybe in the urban planning context, the planners and the planner classes need to have more contact with the people who are affected by their decisions. That's really interesting insight. Chuck, what role? Could I? Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I I think that that, to me, this is where I actually found, and I wasn't searching for it, but I found the most overlap with with my faith was the fact that really as a professional was kind of taught and told that I have this special, unique set of, uh, of insights. And while we didn't word it this way, uh, basically the profession was designed to kind of impose a set of values on society. Uh, the traffic flow one is a perfect example. You know, we have metrics for how our streets are to be designed and how traffic's supposed to flow. One of the things that we found at Strong Towns is that the way we actually build great places, both financially and just human-wise, is to examine in a very humble way where people are struggling and use that as the basis for what our action should be. And, and when we can do that, you know, it's, it's very similar to asking, you know, where does our food come from and having that intimate circle. When we actually step back and examine where people struggle uh, to live in the community, what we find is that a lot of the struggles are very simple things to solve. They're things that won't show up on our metrics, but they're things that, uh, you know, how do I get across the street? How do I walk this section without the sun beating down on me oppressively? These are like the service things that I think as Catholics come very natural to us. The built environment and questions around it, uh, urban planning, are not uh, questions often addressed in uh, Catholic media. And so it's a blessing to have Chuck Marone from Strong Towns talk with us today about that because that can contribute to flourishing. And that's really the metric of how we view um, human life and the importance of the social teaching is to foster flourishing for individuals, families, and communities. And so thinking about the built environment is an important dimension and element of that perspective. Chuck, what role do churches and Catholic schools play in keeping towns strong or alternatively revitalizing rural communities? And what happens in your experience when they disappear or close down? Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that we've struggled with as, as Catholics is that, you know, we obviously live in this secular society and, and we build our cities with much the same ethics and values that, uh, that the rest of North America does. And so, for example, my church, which is a, a beautiful place, and I, I think the people there are, are wonderful, but we just went through a huge capital campaign, and one of the ways we sold it uh, was that we were going to tear down much of the neighborhood and convert it into parking lots so that it would be easier for people to, to get to church. And, you know, while like, I get the pragmatic part of this, you know, we want people to be able to come from far and wide and, and visit us and have that be a convenient experience. Um, we also have kind of given ourselves over to a, a design pattern that lacks intimacy. Um, the post-war development pattern, it, it, the primary feature of it is isolation. We have designed a lifestyle and a way of building that creates isolation of people from one another. Um, even if you live in a neighborhood where people are very social and, and, and very um, friendly, you can still go about your day, your week, your month without interacting with anyone unless you take intentional steps to do so. Our ancestors, and I can even look at my community and think back 100 years ago to the way this neighborhood looked around the church, our ancestors could not have gone a day without interacting with their neighbors. They, they were, in a sense, forced to uh, 
you know, come uh, in contact with the people around them. And I, I think that intimacy, that intimacy with uh, each other in a community, both Catholic and non-Catholic, by the way, I think the intimacy with the church and just the parish community is something that we've thrown away uh, kind of casually. And I think we've lost a lot in doing so. Um, this is not hard to repair. And I think if we have intentional uh, mindset about what our churches are and what the neighborhoods around them are. It's a great place to start kind of healing this and and mending this parish life back together. Oftentimes when we introduce new subjects into the conversation like this one, that's it's new for a lot of people. They have a kind of aha moment that there is something, you know, in co-it that they sense, but they can't quite put their finger on it. And I think you do a great job of helping people identify what the issues are. If you're interested in these topics or if a listener is interested in these topics, where do they go next? Are there a couple of go to resources that you'd recommend to start thinking about uh, the built environment besides, of course, the Strong Towns website and your blog and resources? Is there like a Catholic James Jacobs who, uh, you know, thinks about and talks about these issues from a Catholic theological anthropology or what what resources or places you can go for for listeners who want to know more and take the next step in thinking about these questions? That's that's really a good question, um, because, I, I, you know, I, as you were saying that, I'm thinking, well, go to strongtowns.org, because that's... <laughs> yes, go to strongtowns.org, but uh, <laughs> who's the Catholic Jane Jacobs, I guess I want to know? What's, what... I don't know. I don't know if there is one, and I've been searching for that as well. I mean, I, I, I really have. I, I, there's a great book called Sidewalks in the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, The subtitle is New Urbanism and, and the Christian Practice. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it really talks deeply about urban design and church life and how, you know, basically the, the humble message of Jesus, how we, uh, how our design patterns used to reflect this and how they no longer do. And, and essentially how we can get that back, how we can create places that uh, not only, you know, places of worship in a church, but really communities and neighborhoods of worship. And I, I think Sidewalks in the Kingdom is a is a beautiful book. It, it's a it's not a one on one book, so you know be prepared to to dig in a little bit if you go that route. Um, but it's really worthy of your time. There's another one that I've been reading lately called Slow Church. Uh, this is by a guy named John Pattison, who is a, a new colleague of mine here at Strong Towns. But before he came to work for us, he wrote this book called Slow Church, and it builds off the slow food movement, mm-hmm. the idea that instead of rushing through dinner and, and rushing through our meals, this is really a time that we're asked to stop, give thanks, reflect, uh, embrace each other uh, in, in conversation and in fellowship. And really, the, the church in many ways has become the, the drive-through church as well. And, and, and we need to uh, stop, reflect, take that time, and, and kind of be very intentional about our worship life. So, you know, and, and really integrating the two. So Slow Church is another one I'd, I'd recommend dabbling in. That one's a little bit, that's a quite a bit easier read, and uh, I think also equally important. Well, interesting, interesting uh, rec- recommendations, and for the listeners, Sidewalks in the Kingdom and Slow Church. Uh, thanks for those. 
Chuck, what unique role can the church play or Christians in generally play in debates about the built environment and community revitalization? Why do you think it is, despite the principle of subsidiarity, have Catholics in many cases ceded these conversations to others and instead sort of focused on sort of big national political discussions that are that dominate the news headlines? Yeah, that that part has really made me sad um, because I, I think Catholics have a, a critical role right now. One of the biggest, and I don't want to get too technical with you, but one of the biggest obstacles that we see uh, in neighborhoods functionally is that they're not allowed to adapt and, and change. We have huge NIMBY movements, not in my backyard movements, uh, that resist all change in a neighborhood. And this is a change that like, absolutely needs to happen. We need single-family homes to uh, evolve and, and become duplexes. Uh, we need people to be able to allow and add accessory apartments where mother-in-law can live or college student can live or a person who's uh, in transition or down on their luck uh, can have a, a place where they can live affordably. The affordable housing problem is very real, and a big cause of that is the fact that our neighborhoods don't flex and, and, and evolve. I think Catholics have a, a real role in uh, talking about how we accept others and bring others into our, our midst or, or welcome others into our midst in ways that uh, our, our zoning codes, our building codes, our cultural conversation is just not uh, set up to handle. Even when we're talking about, you know, migrants and, and others that we're trying, that we're, we're consciously as public policy trying to help, we often try to help them in large blocks. You know, we're, we'll, we'll set up an apartment complex or we'll set up a, a camp or a place, you know, where we can send all of them at once. And, and really, I think we're called, and I say this in a humble way, I feel like we're called to, to be more welcoming than that, uh, to open up our homes, open up our blocks, open up our neighborhoods to people and, and welcome them in to, to walk and, and dwell among us. I feel strongly that's what we're called to do. And, and if Catholics were more um, uh, uh, you know, vocal about that or more uh, insistent on that, I think it would be a huge source for good. At the, at the local level, in places that, that need that, not only from a human standpoint, but also from a practical financial standpoint, this is what needs to happen in our neighborhoods. Yeah, oftentimes that we think about what can we do and one thing, and that's a place where we can have a real impact is in our corner of the vineyard where we know the challenges, the problems, when we often have the relationships to make a change, yet we're often not engaged in those conversations at the local level. And so, Chuck, what you're pointing to in many ways is if, if Pope Francis is calling for a culture of encounter, um, a politics of encounter, then perhaps the built environment and our, and our city planning can contribute to fostering those encounters and building those places of welcome. So, so thank you for that. I think the recognition, and I've been deeply inspired by Pope Francis as well in that, in that specific regard, the recognition that our built environment in North America is designed specifically to repress encounter. It is designed to do the opposite, is designed to isolate us, uh, is really, I think, a special challenge for Americans, um, you know, because this is what we're, this is what we've come to accept as normal. And in the course of human history and in the, the context of our Catholic faith, it is very much an aberration. Chuck, that's all we have time for today, but we're grateful for you coming on the Bridge Builder program. Where can listeners go if they want to know more about uh, you and your work? I've got a new book coming out 
it's called Strong Towns. You can get that anywhere books are sold. And then, of course, strongtowns.org. Not only are we producing content every day, but we've got a, a real robust conversation that we welcome everyone to join in and take part in. Uh, well, you shared a little bit of your wisdom and insight today. We're grateful for your time and especially uh, helping Catholics uh, bridge that perhaps gap that they uh, haven't been able to cross between thinking about the built environment and local politics and their Catholic faith. So thank you for that. Chuck Marone is president and founder of Strong Towns. You can find out more about Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. And we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to delve into our mailbag, where we receive your comments and questions and try to answer those the best we can. Kit, what have you got in the mailbag segment this week? So we often end up getting questions from people who want to know, what is the Catholic Conference doing regarding any given issue, whether it's comprehensive sex ed or gun safety, immigration, abortion, euthanasia— the issues always run the gamut. They always span the aisle. And most of the time, those who are writing or calling, they're dissatisfied that we're not doing more on the issue that matters most to them. So to answer a lot of those questions kind of all at once, can you explain how does the Catholic Conference allocate its resources or efforts on any given issue? That's a that's a great question. And a common theme of our mailbag is why aren't you doing more about the issue that I care about? And first of all, we have to thank uh, the listener or the, the caller or the writer who is communicating that frustration or interest or lack of knowledge and wants to know more because they've taken the next step. They're interested in an issue. They're passionate about it. They're involved in it. They want others to be more involved in it, and they want the church more proactively speaking out. Now, oftentimes, it's it's a matter of uh, papering over that information gap is that actually we have been working quite actively on something, but they weren't aware. Now, And one of the challenges, of course, is in the 24 news cycle, the outrage generators are uh, very, very potent. So there's someone always generating outrage about an issue. Uh, people see the issue, they're troubled by it, and the first thing is to jump in, well, what are we doing about this? And this is why prudence is one of the cornerstone virtues of political life, is that um, prudence means knowing when to act, the right things to say, um, and when to do it. Um, that matters as well, the when factor, um, because oftentimes you can speak on something or uh, work on an issue, but you're just spinning your wheels, you're, you're um, expending valuable resources and time and to very little effect, and none of us can afford to do that. I always say that the three legs of effective ministry, and including ministry and public life, is that you have to have orthodoxy, which means saying the right things or embracing the right teaching or the right principles. That's a general way of looking at it. Orthopraxis, which is the right practice. What skills and, and effective tools are you bringing to the challenge? And then orthopathos, uh, which is the right spirit. You might sum that up in, in layman speak as speaking the truth in love and doing so effectively. Uh, those are the three legs of that stool. You've got to have all three of those. It's not just important to have the right view or the right perspective. You've got to do uh, the work effectively because that gives honor to God as well. And you have to do it with the right spirit. You can't be mean or nasty because you're not going to be persuasive, even if you're right. Um, if you are mean and nasty, that's very <laughs> unlikely to be persuasive. So again, having all three of those pieces, the right spirit, 
the right principles and then the right tools to be effective are important. One of the things I uh, say a friend of mine told me one time years ago, and it stick stuck with me, is stupid for Jesus is still stupid. And that's right. Uh, stupid for Jesus is still stupid. You can, again, have the right intentionality or right principles, uh, but if you're not doing so in an effective way, you're just wasting everyone's time and probably your own as well. So the matter of when we speak to issues is, a, is an important one and that you have to keep in mind. And so might be the case that we are working on an issue, we do care about it, but it might not be the right time in the legislative process. Um, it might be uh, too early in a bill's lifetime. So an outrageous bill might be proposed, but it's all that's been done is it's been proposed. And so there's no sense of, uh, sense of spending time on an issue that's only been proposed and is not r- what we call ready for prime time in the legislative process. You don't want to give a bill a bad bill momentum and oftentimes be sp- by speaking to a bad bill, you can actually put it higher on people's radar and generate momentum for something. So you want to be very careful about when and how you speak to particular pieces of legislation. Another relevant dynamic is, again, we do have limited resources, and we do have to speak into the signs of the times and say, what's going on right now? Where does the church need to be primarily putting its resources behind which bill? We can't spread ourselves too thin uh, as well, and that would be a detriment to the, some of the significant priorities that we are working on. And uh, you have to be able to pick your battles, pick your spots, know where the church can be effective. But remember, too, that the end goal, the church does not exist to win every public policy battle. The church exists to bring Jesus Christ to more people. And the social teaching of the church has to be a point of evangelization. So we have to think about our advocacy through the prism of evangelization. We can't be focused on a very narrow set of issues only because we might be missing opportunities for evangelization and speaking to issues that people care about and want to see the church as a credible witness of the gospel speaking into those things and those challenges. And so those are all considerations that we make as we identify issues. But If you want to know what issues we're working on in any given session, we have a bill tracker at our website, mncatholic.org, where people can find out uh, what issues we've taken positions on, but then also look at our website for the most recent testimony, uh, legislation. And then, of course, the most important thing is to sign up for the Catholic Advocacy Network, where you can receive emails and up-to-date information about what's going on, what we have been doing or saying in the Capitol, in the public arena, about key questions. And, And papering over that information gap is really, really an important one. Well, Jason, as you were saying, signing up for the Catholic Advocacy Network is always important. So that's mncatholic.org forward slash action center. You'll also find there, particularly during session, different items, issues that you can take action on by sending a message to your legislator or calling them. And before we go today, we want to provide you with a few more practical ways that you can start bridging the gap between faith and politics. What do you have in this week's Bricklayer segment? It's fall festival season, and most many, many parishes have fall festivals. I was just at a fall festival last weekend, and saw two legislators there. I was on my way out, so I didn't have a chance to talk to them uh, in an extended manner. But invite your legislators and your public officials, uh, city council persons, state legislators, uh, even congresspersons. They probably won't be able to make it, but you should invite them anyway. Invite your elected officials to join your community in a great community celebration. Have conversations with them. They want to be there. They want to meet people so you're not imposing on them. Again, they want to be where the people are. They want to get themselves known. It's a great opportunity to ask them questions, but at the same time, share your views with them. That's why they're there. They're there for you to share your views with them. So invite your legislators to your fall festival. Uh, If you're a uh, parish leader, a pastor, if you're listening to this, um, even if you're just a parishioner, you can reach out to your 
uh, 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 elected officials and let them know that they should come and show up. And uh, it's a great way to be welcoming to your legislator. Let them know you're praying for them and that you are a resource to them uh, as well. And so the fall festivals are a great way to take advantage of that opportunity to bring them into an environment where, where they want to come because there's going to be a lot of people there, but also you can have some really great uh, conversations and fellowship with them too. And especially remember to thank them. We always uh, have a sense that we need to ask them for things and we should ask them for things, but we should also thank them for the sacrifices they make and let them know that we are praying for them as well. So again, take advantage of fall festivals, invite your elected officials and be in conversation with them at those. That's all the time we have for today. But remember, you or your organization can become a sponsor of the Bridge Builder program. By doing so, you will help others bring the Catholic faith into public life. Becoming a sponsor of the Bridge Builder lets listeners know that you support bringing the faith into the public arena. For opportunities, contact our producer, Kit Cross, at our email, show at mncatholic.org. Again, that's show at mncatholic.org. You can also be a part of our mailbag segment. Just send any of your questions or comments to show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Then tune in next week to find out if we include your question or comment. Remember, you can catch up on any past episodes online at mncatholic.org slash podcast or search for the Bridge Builder podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in today to the Bridge Builder. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Chuck Marone, president and founder of Strong Towns. You can find more information about Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Again, we'll be back next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Cross of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks very much for listening to The Bridge Builder, and have a blessed weekend.